Good to be back. Been on my study break. Was at Allen Park last week, though. Uh, you know, we're one church in two locations, northern and southern downriver. So, uh, since it's been a while, you know, what, what I've gotten used to is uh, working from home in my pajamas all day. So, I got dressed up for you. Here I am, and I'm back ready to go. Welcome to our guests. Welcome to everybody watching online. Hope you can be with us soon in person as well. I uh, want to do a quick shout out to a couple in our church. One of our elders and his wife, Keith and Sue Whitehouse, been married 45 years as of yesterday. Where are you guys? They're around here somewhere. Where are they? I don't see them. Back there? Oh, they're out there in the hall. Oh, there they are. Oh, there they are. Okay. Congrats, guys. That's a great example for the rest of us. That's wonderful. Hey, whether you are a uh, Christ follower or uh, a foe, somebody who uh, is a fan, not sure where you are with Jesus, you're going to learn about the most important person ever and about the most important decision you will ever make. You've got to decide who Jesus really is. You ever watch one of those movies where you're not sure if uh, the character is a bad guy or a good guy? I mean, nobody's really sure until you get more further into the movie. For example, you can go uh, to a movie like, well, I, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, and who hasn't at this point, you might know that uh, Mysterio shows up, and he's just like this great hero from another dimension. Turns out he was a bad guy the whole time. He fooled everybody. Or... Harry Potter fans, if you're reading it or whatever, close your ears, but you think the whole time that Severus Snape is the bad guy, but he actually turns out to be the good guy. People didn't understand at the time. Well, that's what's going on with Jesus. People weren't clear. Is this a good guy or is a bad guy? Today, of course, being the 21st anniversary of 9-11 uh, and uh, the terrorist attacks on America, it was very easy to see who the good guys and the bad guys were. Uh, here at our church, it's very special, meaningful to us because Todd Beamer was the hero on Flight 93 that said, let's roll, took the plane back from the terrorists. Instead of flying it into D.C., they flew it into the ground in Pennsylvania. Uh, and Todd's family goes to our church, so that's, that's a big deal for us here. But very clearly, Todd was a good guy Terrorists were bad guys, unless you live in another part of the world, right? And they would switch things around, say just the opposite. So who is Jesus really? So a few months we've been looking in through the Gospel of John. John was an eyewitness. He hung out with Jesus as one of his original 12 disciples. In fact, he was in the inner three, along with his brother James and Peter. Uh, they pretty much knew him better than just about anybody. And at this point, when he's writing his Gospel, John's an old man. He's the last one standing, all the other disciples are dead. He wants to write his gospel about Jesus and fill us in on some things that the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't cover. So he adds some stuff to add to our understanding of who Jesus is. So chapter 7 picks up actually a few months after chapter 6. We're jumping over a few months of ministry that John doesn't even mention. Why? Because Presumably, the other three Gospels had already talked about him. He doesn't want to cover that ground again. But we saw in the previous chapter how Jesus was causing division, how people were having these different reactions to him, even among his disciples. Some of them were um, grumbling, upset. They were bailing out on him because they didn't like some of the hard things that he was teaching. But his original 12, they stuck with him. They said, you have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? Others are 
rejecting him and dismissing him, but they, they stick with him. So here in chapter 7 and 8, we're calling this period in his ministry controversial Jesus because now he is more popular and polarizing than ever before, and it's still going on today, still popular and po polarizing, stirs up a lot of people to the point where some are ready to take him out. Now, I've had people upset with me. I've had people bail out and leave the church. Uh, I, I don't think I've had anybody want to kill me yet that I'm aware of, but that's how much animosity Jesus was stirring up. And the bad news is, he said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too, because you represent me. So we're going to be hated. So it's pretty important what you decide about Jesus, that you would judge correctly on this. But, but really, the more basic question is, do you want to believe in Jesus? If you don't want to believe in him, well, you're going to find a reason not to, right? Nobody's going to be able to convince you. In this message, though, I'm going to show you the importance of making good judgments, sound judgments. You've got to judge correctly. And you, you might be thinking, well, I thought Jesus said, don't judge. Well, no, not exactly. Sure, you have to judge just in the right way. And the big idea is when you want to do God's will, you'll judge correctly about Jesus. But do you want to? So he heads down to uh, Jerusalem. And there's going to be this big uh, Jewish feast going on called the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents. Basically, where a bunch of Jewish people get together for about seven days and camp out overnight. And you say, well, why are they so upset and mad at Jesus? Probably because they're camping out overnight for seven days. I mean, camping makes you cranky if you do it right, right? Camping is not fun. Some of y'all love camping. Good for you. I don't get it. There is nothing fun about camping to me. I did it a couple of times, sleeping out in tents when I was in my 20s. I'm good. Done it. Haven't done it for decades on purpose until a few weeks ago and my son and his wife called us up and said hey you want to go camping with us out in Ohio well now we got two problems I didn't get an answer my wife jumped right in and said yes we'll go don't don't try to romanticize camping for me oh it's nature no no it's hot days and cold nights and bugs and mosquitoes biting you and sweat and noisy people walking around your campsite and slamming car doors to wake you up in the morning. I'm sorry, but I thought that's why we came up with civilization in the first place, to get away from sleeping out in tents overnight. And this festival of tents wasn't even good tents like we have today. They were just palm branches made into tents. Some of y'all love camping because you got RVs and you got campers with nice blown up mattresses and microwaves and stoves and showers and everything. I'm talking about real camping. That's why we built houses, so we don't have to do that anymore. That's why we came up with central air and heat and plush mattresses. That's why we came up with microwaves and ovens, so that we don't have to build open fires and sit around smelling smoky all day. I, I would be upset too. So I did it. I overnight slept in the tent. I'm good. Let's do it again in about 40 years. Unless my wife says yes again next year. We'll see. 
But going to the feast at this point would have been not a wise decision for Jesus. Why? Because people were out to get him. They want to kill him. So he might cause his death to happen prematurely if he goes down right now. He's seen as a threat. He's a menace. He's had a target on his back for quite a while now. You can imagine all the wanted posters around Jerusalem with Jesus' face on it. And that's how serious they are. So the feast might have been a big joyful time for all the tourists and pilgrims showing up, but it wasn't for him because the heat now really gets turned up on the opposition, the, the open militant opposition to Jesus. Now even his own family doesn't believe him. Uh, you know Jesus had some half-siblings, right? He had four half-brothers and some half-sisters. How many of y'all uh, have half-brothers or sisters? Yeah, I did. I, I grew up with a, for a while with a half-sister, and then later on in life found out I have a half-brother as well. My wife, just this year, found out she has a half-brother, and he found out too. Just giving you a little warning up front, be careful when you give somebody a gift from Ancestry.com, okay? They might find out things they didn't want to know. That's all I'm saying. But half-brothers and half-sisters, our Catholic friends would say, well, no, these weren't really Jesus' siblings. They were more like maybe cousins. That's what the Pope would say. That's not what the Bible says, though. It does say brothers and sisters. And why not? I mean, uh, Mary did get married to Joseph. It wouldn't make any sense for them not to have more children. Jesus was the only virgin-born one. He is certainly the firstborn one. How many grew up with the burden of being the firstborn? Had to take care of your little brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's Jesus. Chances are he had to change their diapers. Uh, they knew what a good guy he was. They had seen his perfect life. Maybe that's why they, they resent him so much, right? Mr. Perfect, mom's favorite. They really didn't want to have anything to do with him in terms of this Messiah thing. They didn't believe it. They didn't listen to him. And maybe that's the kind of family you have. They don't listen to you because you're not like them. You're one of those Jesus freaks. So they kind of shut you out, right? Now, we do know after the resurrection, half of his brothers became believers, right? Two of them wrote books in the New Testament, James and Jude. That's his brothers. But at this point... And that makes me think, by the way, there's hope for your disbelieving family, too. If, if you're shut out right now, at one point they might come around. But right now they're just mocking him, right? They're, they're, they're goading him. And if you grew up with siblings of any kind, you know what it's like to try and, and goad your brother or sister into doing something that's going to get him in trouble, right? You know what it is to try and get their goat, to, to tweak them, get them to do something to publicly humiliate themselves, and that's what they're doing. They're saying, oh, big brother Jesus, what's the matter? You losing some followers? Why don't you go down to Jerusalem and show them what a big deal you are? You think you're the Messiah? Mom thinks you're so special. You can do these tricks. Why don't you go down where the big crowd is in the festival and show them you're the Messiah? And Jesus isn't having any of that. He's, no, I don't think so. Uh, nice try, but... We ain't doing this according to your timetable. We're doing it according to my father's timetable. He's got a divine agenda. So you all go ahead and go on down right now. I'm going to stay behind. And then he says something really profound. John 7, verse 7. He says, you know what? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. You know why the world hates Jesus? 
because he tells the truth. He points out the evil deeds that we do, and we don't like that. We don't want anybody calling us out for doing things that are wrong, that are bad, that are harmful. We want to be able to do what we want to do, and that's why truth is offensive. Because truth reveals the offensive uh, uh, evil deeds. Don't tell me what to do. Jesus is later going to say in John's Gospel, God, your word is truth. And then he says, I am the truth. So since Jesus is the ultimate source of truth, and Scripture is his word, that's why the world hates the Bible too. Because the Bible tells them the truth about their evil deeds. That's why there's such an effort in our society to really silence any kind of biblical teaching, to censor it as much as possible, to cancel out the truth. Why? So the evil can be done openly. And we've seen that steamroll in, in recent years, haven't we? I mean, everybody senses it's just it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's more out in the open. So the more that we hold on to Jesus and to the Scriptures, the more we're going to be hated. I mean, Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth, to say what needed to be said. Now, he didn't go looking for trouble, but he didn't back away from it either. Why? Because he loved people. And if you love people, you tell them the truth. So when the world tries to tell us, well, you just keep your religion private. Keep it to yourself. Keep it inside your church walls where it belongs. No, sorry, we can't play that game. We will not be silent because we love the Lord, we love the truth, and we love you. So we're going to tell you the truth that you need to hear. Maybe we have to question like the Apostle Paul did to the Galatians. He said, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Yeah, we make enemies when we speak truth. And the world thinks that we hate them when we tell them the truth. Because look, if you just go with the flow and you don't ruffle any feathers and you just live and let live, everybody's going to love you because that's what love does, right? We're told love just lets everybody do whatever they want to do. Folks, that ain't love. That's the world's kind of love, but that ain't God's kind of love. Love doesn't let people go on doing things that are going to harm them, that are going to destroy them. So love isn't live and let live because we know if we let people live as they want, they will die. We don't want to live and let die. That's why people need the truth. We know the wages of sin is death. That's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Everybody say this out loud together with me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love tells the truth. You know, someone has said that truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. So to them, truth is hate speech. We're going to be called haters because we tell the truth. They love lies. Why? Because lies make them feel good. Lies make them feel better about their lives. That they're not accountable. They, they, they prefer the delusion. They like blue pill living. And Jesus is the ultimate red pill that wakes people up to what's right and true and good. And that's not easy and that's not often fun. So it's not so much that I can't believe, it's that I won't believe. See, it's all about the will. Do you will to believe or not? If you don't really want to know the truth, then nothing we do can convince you. You don't want to do God's will, you're going to remain obstinate and offended. Yeah, you got to humble yourself. 
You've got to submit yourself to God. When you want to do God's will, you will judge correctly about Jesus. Your eyes are open to who he really is through his miracles, his teaching, his testimony. All the evidence was right there all along, right before our eyes, but we just didn't want to see it. So Jesus says, I'm not going to Jerusalem, but he does. He goes a little bit later on his own time schedule. Not too early, because, you know, every Jewish man was supposed to go to the festival, as the law said, but he wasn't going to let his brothers goad him into showing up. He's going to show up. He's going to speak the truth that they need to hear, but first he kind of sneaks in under the radar, goes incognito, walking among them unrecognized for a while. People are buzzing around, wondering if he's going to show up. You know, the, the, the chatter's going on. The Jewish leaders... And others like them are stirring people up like how Jesus is a bad guy. He's a, he's a false prophet. He's a deceiver. There's others, though, going around like, no, he's, he's got to be a good guy. He's got to be a man of God. Because they knew all that he had done and taught. But they were afraid to speak up. Why? Because something bad was going to happen to them if they did. Which is going on all around the world. That's why Christians in so many places and communist nations and Muslim nations... It's dangerous to speak up for Jesus because something bad is going to happen to you. Not here, though. We're absolutely free to speak up about Jesus anytime, but we're afraid too. And so we self-censor out of fear. Well, eventually, Jesus comes out in the open and begins to teach them, and the people are marveling like, this guy is, is amazing. He's not one of our scholars He's not one of the, uh, the elite credentialed uh, scribes who has gone to one of our, our approved credentialed universities. He hasn't gone to the University of Jerusalem and sat under the prestigious professors of religion there. Now, folks, I'm all for getting a diploma from an institution of higher learning for ministry, but I've got to tell you, just because you get a diploma from a seminary doesn't make you a good teacher fact it may make you a bad teacher there's a lot of guys who go into seminary and come out worse than they were before there's a lot of seminaries bible called so-called christian institutions misleading people that have gone off course themselves we used to support two bible colleges here as a church we pulled support from both of them because of the way that they were going off course and now one of them was my alma mater and now they're closed down because of the theological collapse, weakened the foundations. They, they misled and left people wayward. So Jesus comes along not teaching what others have taught him, but teaching what the Father has taught him. God sent me to teach this. And people who heard him said, man, we ain't never heard anybody talk like this before. This guy is something different. But Jesus says this in this key. John 7, 17. If anyone's what? will, there it is, the will is to do what? God's will, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So do you will to believe? If you don't, nothing's going to convince you. You're not going to pay attention. You're not going to care. You're going to keep on doing whatever you want to do because you don't want to do God's will. But if you do, if you really want to do God's will, you're going to know that Jesus is the real deal that he's teaching the right things. You're going to welcome that. But these guys back then, they were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. They were rejecting God. They wanted to kill him. 
Here they prided themselves on being so uh, important because they were the ones that received the revelation of God, the laws through Moses, but they were breaking those laws. They were hypocrites. And that's what all those leaders and scribes and Pharisees would do. They, they would pretend to teach God's laws, but they would break them themselves. And so now the crowd begins to turn on Jesus. Well, no doubt because the, the elites, the, the, the rulers had embedded their agents among the crowds who were going among them and stirring them up and egging them on and heckling Jesus. That's why they turn on him and accuse him of having a demon. That's nothing new. He'd been accused of being demon-possessed before. But they're saying, what's wrong with you? Who's, what are you talking about? Who's trying to kill you? There's, Jesus, nobody here is trying to kill you. I mean, our religious leaders would never do anything like that. You're out of your mind to imagine that our, our wonderful leaders would ever think such a thing. That's crazy talk. Same as today, right? When we point out that people are trying to silence us or censor us or even kill Christianity, like, what are you talking about? Who's trying to do that to you? That's not happening. I mean, you, you're just, you have a martyr's complex. What's all this whining about this imagined persecution? It's not real. Oh, sure it is. Oh, you better believe it is. It's just been under the radar for a long time. It's just now starting to come out more and more into the open. People are beginning to see it. They hate the truth. And that's why totalitarian states always go after the church first. Why? Because we speak the truth, the real truth, to power. And they can't have anybody serving God more than they serve the state. And so it's the church standing in the way of progress, and they have to be shut down. Sometimes we're the only ones standing between complete control over society because we still serve God. Get used to it. Jesus brings us out into the open, this covert attack on him that he's a lawbreaker. He's saying, you all still mad at me for healing a guy on the Sabbath day? Yeah, you think you, that broke your Mosaic law? Where's your compassion? Where's your consistency? You guys are, are circumcising babies on the Sabbath day. You're doing work, but you're mad at me for healing somebody? Do you see the hypocrisy in that? Oh, and by the way, the law of Moses says you shouldn't murder anybody, but you want to murder me, so there's that too. Yeah, their judgment was messed up, not his. And then he says a very significant thing. Verse 24. Let's say it together again. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's not a verse that gets quoted very often, is it? I mean, how many times do we just judge by mere appearances? We judge, judge a book by its cover. Now, everybody knows the verse where Jesus says, Judge not, or you will be judged. Oh, they love that verse. Oh, how dare you judge anybody? They never quote this verse. Judge with right judgment. That's... That's a superficial understanding ripped out of context to say that we should never judge anything. That's nonsense. Jesus never went around going, it's all good, bro, whatever. You've got to make some decisions about what's right and wrong and true and false. And that's why the world gets so mad at us for calling it out. 
When we speak up against some sort of cultural evil or immoral action, and heaven forbid we post online, call out something that's wrong. Not a person, but just calling out some action as bad. See how long it takes before somebody posts, judge not. Really? You don't want me to call something bad, bad? Uh, I'm sorry. What did I do wrong? Oh, no. If, if you speak out, you're the bad guy. Okay, so you're telling me I'm bad if I call something bad. Right. So we're not supposed to judge, but you're doing what? You're judging me. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah. No, you're, you're, the, you're the judgy Christian. What are you doing? Of course you have to judge. Now, we don't want to come off as holier than thou and, and you know, judge people's motives and intents and heart. We don't know any of that. And we certainly don't want to just call people out to put them down. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, we don't want to be quick to judge. And look, we can't expect secular people to behave like Christians with biblical values and morals and all that. That's not going to happen. But we have to call out what's right and what's wrong. And if we find a fellow believer, a Christian, doing something wrong, teaching something wrong, what do we do? We're supposed to correct them, but with gentleness, right? If someone is just violating our own preferences or ideas or our convictions, apart from Scripture, then no, we don't judge them. And we're all sinners, and we know we, we don't ever do everything right. But here's the thing is we know the wages of sin is death, right? So we can't let people continue in that way. We're not going to embrace sin. We're not going to celebrate sin. We're not going to dismiss it away in the name of love. We speak the truth in love, not hate, in love. Because how loving is it to let people go to hell when we could have told them the truth? Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Really? That's more important? The idea that we shouldn't judge at all is just absurd. It's impossible, and it goes against Scripture. What they're leaving out is that we're not supposed to judge wrongly. Jesus says judge rightly with right judgment. Be on the lookout for false teachers you got to judge that. Test the spirits. You'll know them by their fruits. That's all about judgment. we got to do it. How? That's the question. How do we do that? Well, you go to Scripture. You go to the truth. You compare it against what God says. We don't want to hold people to a higher standard than what God does or to a different standard. That's what the Pharisees did with all the rules and traditions and rituals. No, we want to say, what did God say? Because Jesus said, your word is truth. And it tells us of Jesus who is the truth. So who is he to you? you got to decide. You can't just dismiss him. You can be devoted to him. You might despise him, but you can't dismiss him. That's not an option. You have to make a judgment. Will you judge correctly? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? You can't just say he's, he's a, just another guy. That's not an option. In fact, back in 1859, there was a preacher named John Duncan who, who said this, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud or he himself was deluded and self-deceived 
or he was divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. Those are your choices. Today we might say it that either Jesus was mad, he was bad, or he was God. That's your choice. The great uh, scholar C.S. Lewis popularized that trilemma argument in his famous book, Mere Christianity, when he wrote this, uh, quote, you know, he can't just be another good guy. He can't just be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil. You must make your choice. Either he was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. He hasn't left open the option to us just to call him a great human teacher. And by the way, Lewis himself was an atheist, professor at Oxford. He came to Christ because he said, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange, terrifying, or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Those are your choices. Now, another famed atheist, Christopher Hitchens, accepted that trilemma argument. Yes, those are my three options, but I say Jesus is bad. Because he went around claiming to be the only way and all others would be condemned. So what do you think? Doesn't that make him bad? Well, if he is God, then it makes perfect sense. And what do you think? Are you willing to believe that's really what it comes down to. Why will one atheist choose to believe and one will not? Isn't it really more about I don't want to or I want to? Because you can't just use your intellect to reason your way into faith. And you can't just use your emotions to feel your way into faith. It's more than that. It's about your will. Will I choose to put my faith in Jesus based on what I know. God holds you responsible for your beliefs. And no, you will never have 100% logical proof. But does it make more sense to believe than not to? Even when I don't get all of my questions answered, do I want to believe or not? I have chosen to believe that it makes more sense than not to. I know enough to make that decision. And so when you want to do God's will, you'll judge correctly about Jesus. Now, if you're already a believer, the question is still on the table. Do you want to do God's will? Because it's not easy. There are parts of the Bible that we wish we could just ignore or dismiss or reject. But do I want to do God's will? If I do, I know it's going to be better. It's right, and it's good, and it's true. That's the choice before you. Do you want to put your faith in Jesus today to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Christ? We've got a tub of warm water back there. We've got clothes and towels and hair dryers, whatever you need to be immersed into Christ today, to rise up a new person, forgiven, filled with His Spirit, set on a new path, but it's your choice. I'm going to have some folks up here at the front in the next few moments when the music is playing. Walk down. Ask them questions. Talk to them. They'll pray for you. 
Let them help you take your next step and make the most important and best decision ever. Maybe you're, you're still unsure. I don't know what I believe. Your next step is maybe just come back next week. Let's keep going. We'll go on in chapter 7 and we'll see how people back then too were still struggling. Like, could he really be the one? Bring somebody with you. Let's start to fill this place up more and more. When's the last time you invited somebody to church with you? So in the next few moments, this is going to be our time of response. And if you're a Christ follower, use this time to take communion. When you come in each week, you pick up your kit that has the bread and the juice. The bread reminds us of uh, Jesus' body on the cross given for us. The juice represents his blood. We understand the significance of that. If you're not yet a Christ follower, just use this as a quiet time to reflect, think, pray. Contact us, email us, text us come up to the front but we want to use this time to examine ourselves right? to, to judge ourselves so that we do this in the right way in fact Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord so let a person examine himself then and, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. What this represents, this is a special time of communion with the Lord, that we discern the body of Christ, that there's unity among us. If you don't do that, then you drink judgment on yourself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So we judge ourselves in this time. It's not to judge ourselves to condemnation. Our sins were already judged at the cross. We don't have to stand for that judgment. On judgment day, we already know where we're going. But we judge ourselves now in a way that says, I know I'm wrong. I'm coming to you, Lord, with a repentant heart, with a grateful heart. I know I'm not worthy to take communion, and that's why I'm taking it. That's why I need it every week. Because it reminds me what Jesus did to forgive me and give me eternal life. So let's use this time for prayer right now. Our Lord, we come before you, and, and uh, we're praying that you would help us to be wise, God, that we would know your truth, that we would make good judgments, uh, that you would always speak to us through your word, that the Holy Spirit would use scripture to help us know what's right and wrong and, and good and bad and true and false. Lord, I pray for those who need to put their faith in Jesus and believe today that you will, you'll convict them of the truth, Lord. And uh, God, we just, we don't want to be hypocrites. We want to act like real Christians this week. Help us to do better. We're desperate for, for spiritual awakening, for revival, for growth, God. And that's the choice we make right now in this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can come down to the front right now if you'd like to.